And we're delighted you're able to spend your uh, Monday, December the 7th with us on Chin 97.9, 1230. And that means it's time for the ADR program here on Ottawa's Multicultural Voice. Gary Michaels with Ernie Tannis and the return visit of a, a guest we haven't seen in some time, Ernie. Yes, indeed. And welcome back, Gary Michaels. I did mention you in your absence yesterday as a co-host and brainchild for the series. Yes, we have back with us Professor Julian Payne. And uh, thanks for bringing back some sunshine and snow with you, Gary. <laughs> so We have here on the uh, Family Law Alternative Dispute Resolution Supporting Our Children, How Does It Work with Julian D. Payne, former professor of law, author of Child Support Guidelines in Canada 2009 with Marilyn A. Payne. Uh, as a companion volume to Canadian Family Law, third edition. Uh, he is a pioneer in all, uh, alternative family dispute resolution and an architect of the Unified Family Courts and No Fault Divorce. And I have uh, both his books, among others, in front of me. And I, Julian has certainly been a, a, a pioneer. I had the pleasure of co-teaching with him in the law school in 1990 on ADR. He's a formidable figure in the field and probably one of Kenla's leading thinkers and visionaries about how this works. So welcome back to the show, Julian Payne. Thank you, Ronnie. Good to be back. And uh, you're right, uh, Gary, Julian uh, was part of the uh, Ontario Association for Family Mediation Ottawa Chapter 12-part series on family law ADR with a prequel and a sequel by then-master Robert Baudouin, now his honor, Mr. Justice Baudouin. So what I'd like to do, Julian, for our listeners here and across Canada and even abroad and for now and for the future, if I take a, uh, some time, if you don't mind, a little bit about your background, about how you got committed into this amazing field. I know you were talking about family mediation decades ago. I wouldn't mind giving your, the listeners a background to your own career path and your thinking and your commitment and maybe an overview on how family law in Canada works. Well, in terms of how I finished up in family law, uh, I taught family law at the University of Belfast, but it was not an official course, uh, but it was a subject in which I had a special interest. When I came to Canada in 1960, that's a long time ago, uh, I was offered the opportunity to rewrite a book which was the Bible in family law. It was called Power on Divorce, and I rewrote that book. In fact, it was twice the size that it had been after I finished my second edition of the book. And that established my reputation at a rather young age of 30 as the expert in family law. In fairness, however, there were not too many people in academic law, as I was, uh, who were pursuing any interest whatsoever in family law. Uh, But in any event, that's where I started. Uh, And after that, my expertise was recognised by a number of governments, federal and provincial, and I was hired by them on a consultancy basis from time to time to deal with a variety of issues. Um, During my lifetime as a law professor, and that lasted for 40-odd years, um, I published a series of books. Uh, In fact, I think I'm... According to Google, I've written 40. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Only two of them are current, however. And they're the ones that only mentioned. Uh, so essentially, my interest in family law was triggered by the fortunate opportunity given to me when I was asked to edit somebody else's book. Uh, so far as family law is concerned and its evolution, in terms of basics, the first thing to note is that there are two regimes in in Canada. One is the federal regime and then there are the provincial regimes. 
the federal legislation governs divorce, including the consequences of divorce, such as uh, where the children will live, uh, how much support will be paid for the children, how much support will be paid uh, to the spouse, usually the wife. Um, provincial regime deals with everything in family law other than divorce um, for all practical purposes. Uh, so it regulates support in a non-divorce situation, both spousal support and child support. It also regulates the division of property on the breakdown of marriage. Provincial legislation also regulates the rights not only of married couples when they separate, uh, but also of unmarried couples. Uh, So people who are sometimes called common-law spouses, people who live together as as husband and wife, uh, but who are not, in fact, married, have a number of rights conferred upon them by the law. Those rights, in some respects, are similar to those of married people, but in other respects are not. Uh, So, for example, other than in the province of Quebec, the Canadian provinces recognise a right of support for a common-law spouse. And um, in Quebec, that's not the case, although there's a case going through the courts right now dealing with whether the Quebec law, which denies spousal support to a common-law spouse, uh, can be upheld under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And we'll see where that finishes up. My guess is it will finish up a year or so from now in the Supreme Court of Canada, and they will have to make a ruling on it. Um, One of the major developments which many people will be aware of because of the great amount of publicity given to it is the same-sex marriage. Uh, That is now recognised in Canada. Um, Ironically, the number of Americans who've come to this country uh, to solemnise or have solemnised a same-sex marriage, um, they may find when they go back home to their home state uh, that same-sex marriage is not recognised in some some states. They're recognised in some American states and not others. If they're unfortunate enough to have got married in Canada in a same-sex ceremony and they are living in a state in the United States which doesn't recognise same-sex marriage, mm. they have a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a problem... For for American lawyers rather than Canadian lawyers, but it, but it's worth noting. If you live in Canada, you don't have that problem. If you've if you've married anywhere in Canada in a same-sex ceremony, then that marriage is valid throughout Canada. Uh, one other aspect of family law I might touch upon is is deals with process. How do you solve your problem when you when you're going through family breakdown, whether you're married or not? Um, And years and years ago, I read a a paper uh, by an American anthropologist called Paul Bohannon, and he talked about the six stages of divorce. And what he points out is that people think of divorce as being a legal activity, uh, but in fact, it's far more than that. The legal activity is the simplest activity. It's the one that severs the marriage bond by virtue of a divorce judgment. Uh, But over and above that, more importantly, you have to deal with the other aspects of divorce. And I'll mention a few of them. Uh, There's what they call the co-parental divorce. That means when people uh, separate, um, but they have children, their separation is going to affect those children. 
so they are no longer going to be living with those parents in the same house you know, as they did in the past. So you, you have a parenting crisis, if you like, that has to be resolved. Um, there's the economic crisis. You know, who gets what money? Who gets what property? Um, now, lawyers have a habit of redefining issues. Mm, they take a human issue, such as divorce, mm, and they redefine it in legal terms, and then they pull their rabbit out of the hat and find a legal solution. Mm, that may or may not be what the parties need, and that gets me on to another aspect of the, of the divorce process. One thing which is inevitable on marriage breakdown is the parties will go through what is called the emotional divorce. And that runs through a, a, a variety of sort of um, characteristics. Denial. It's not happening. It, mm. He doesn't really... He'll come back. Let's not worry about it. He'll come back. Just give him time to, you know, come to his senses uh, or her senses, as the case may be. The denial phase. Mm-hmm. Then you get the anger phase where hostility comes to the fore and you want to claw their eyes out or whatever the male equivalent is. Um, And um, then you get to the stage where you're bargaining, not necessarily in good faith. Uh, Ultimately, you go through these processes and you go through depression. Yes. And ultimately if you're reasonably well put together, you'll come through it all and you'll get on with the rest of your life uh, in a, you know, a separated or divorced state. Mm. Lawyers don't effectively address the emotional divorce and yet that's the one that has the carriage of what's happening. Yes. Um, because if people are caught up in conflict and they're hostile, they won't readily negotiate. They'll run to their lawyers and the lawyers will happily fight a battle on their behalf and charge them the appropriate fees. Um, so this causes me to say my involvement in what I call family dispute resolution, family conflict management, goes far beyond what are your substantive rights. It has to include what processes am I going to use to deal with my rights and my interests. Because it's not just a question of rights. Uh, It's a question of what are my best interests and how will they be served. And that gets us into what Ernie was dealing with with Caesar programs. It gets you into things like family mediation, family arbitration. It it also gets you into legal negotiations, Mm -hmm. uh, the use of collaborative family law, uh, where the people the lawyers and their party and the parties to the dispute sit around a table and try and hammer out uh, some sort of settlement. And one aspect of collaborative family law is that when you engage a lawyer, the one thing the lawyer cannot do is proceed to litigation. They're there to negotiate a settlement. Uh, if they fail to do that, then they no longer continue with, the, with that case. It goes to someone else unrelated to them. Mm. Now, these processes, I think, are of critical importance. I think unless you process your divorce properly, you're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. And if we look to the law, we've got to recognize its limitations. Law may entitle you to a judgment, a money judgment or a property judgment, but if there's no money in the kitty, 
law can't create money. <laughs> good parenting. You can't legislate good parenting. You can't decree good parenting if the parties are not going to cooperate. So what you have to do is persuade them. It's a damn good idea for the children and also for them to have a meaningful parenting arrangement. And I used to say years ago when I taught law, you know, the last thing any child needs is a custody dispute. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think custody disputes should be of last resort and should only be used in very exceptional cases. Perhaps, for example, it's appropriate where there's abuse. Uh, or violence uh, towards the child, then in that situation, you know, legal intervention may be necessary. If you've got a high-conflict divorce where the parties are at each other's throat and they're mm-hmm. going to remain so, uh, I don't think there's any solution to that. You know, you can take that to the courts and the parties will run up huge bills uh, and they won't come out satisfied, either of them. Not a question of one winner, one loser. Both of them are going to be losers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think... A realisation to this effect should cause people, when they're going through marriage, but don't say, what are my options in terms of my avenue uh, towards resolving this dispute? The first thing we should do is not send you to court, but basically have an intake process mm. um, that says, well, you know, Julian, I think what you need to do is talk to a counsellor, perhaps a mediator. Or an exceptional situation, I should say, well, we don't think that counselling or mediation is going to do the trick for you, Julian, so you're really, you're going to have to solve this as a dispute and put it before somebody who is a, a neutral decision maker, and that means either arbitration or the courts. And I put in a plea for arbitration here, although I must say the government has um, mismanaged the, mm. the regulation of arbitration, in my opinion. It's something I no longer do because of government regulation. But what you still do, uh, Julian Payne, who is our guest here on our ADR weekly show on Chin Radio, it's show number 250 here on December 7th, I think, 2009. Um, What you do do is still give a great presentation in very understandable language, and our listeners will never have been exposed to a better summary in such a short time. So I thank you for that basis. I'm going to proceed into a break, but I do want to end this part with a, a note you left me in the Canadian Family Law Book. <clears throat> to Ernie Tanner's lawyers should always remember that their role is that a problem solver. All too often, they redefine human problems as legal problems and pull a legal solution out of the hat without regard to the real interests of the disputing parties. Ernie, take pride in the fact that you never forget your true role. That's a beautiful note, but it really does remember to humanize the problem and to separate out the legal, the financial from the emotional and human element and what's in the best interest of the child. And what's in the best interest of the show right now is going to go to a break and come back and listen to Julian Payne on Family Law ADR, Supporting Our Children, How Does It Work? Time for another Chin Radio traffic update. Well, according to Ottawa Police, it looks like you're finding a serious accident now at St. Laurent and MacArthur. If you have any updates for me on the drive, call me toll-free at 1-866-NOW-SLOW. That's 669-7569. No reports of any serious accidents on the rest of our city streets, although we are dealing with some slick conditions this afternoon. So definitely something to be aware of. And according to the OPP, no serious problems on the Queensway as well as the 416. Do you suspect transmission problems? Drop by Mr. Transmission for a free road test and multi-check. Mr. Transmission with three Ottawa locations. 
solutions to serve you better. I'm Atal Sperling, and that's the latest traffic on Chen 97.9. For many people, unfortunately, a shelter or the street is home. Staying warm during the Ottawa winter has its challenges, even for those of us who are blessed with warm and friendly homes. Chin Radio 97.9 FM is pleased to assist by providing a drop-off location for hats, socks, and gloves that will be distributed on Christmas Day at a venue in the city that provides a free Christmas dinner for the homeless. Share the warmth of the season by bringing hats, socks, and gloves to our offices at 30 Murray Street, Suite 100, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Chin Radio 97.9 FM, multicultural radio for a multicultural city. Time now for an updated weather forecast from Chin Radio. Well, you're going to get a whole heck of a lot more of the white stuff uh, that we're experiencing today. Just a few flurries coming our way and uh, a little bit of a breeze out there. But uh, they tell us that Wednesday we'll get to see uh, winter in its full splendor. But it doesn't arrive officially for another couple of weeks anyway. We are uh, currently at uh, zero degrees in the capital. If you're out and about... A little bit cool, but not all that bad. And we'll probably get down to about minus three or four overnight tonight. A little more snow coming our way in uh, in the form of flurries, Ernie. But then for Wednesday, they're telling us uh, we'll get to see what winter... We may have forgotten what winter was like, but we'll get the, a bit of a brunt of it uh, coming up on Wednesday. Nothing like, I have to tell you, uh, Friday, uh, my family and I uh, were fortunate enough to enjoy... Uh, a bit of a holiday in, in in California. My first ever visit to California. Oh, wow. And we returned uh, Friday from uh, Palm Springs to Calgary. And we met with, uh, we were met with 20-some centimeters of snow. And I got to tell you, we here in Ottawa are so fortunate. Yeah. We have a snow removal uh, a program here that's that's probably one of the best in the country. Calgary... They do not plow the side street. They do not plow the side streets. Now, it was reported to me last Friday or Thursday, let's say Friday, because they had the big snowfall. Five houses burnt down. Two were damaged by fire, all because the firefighters were unable, firefighters were unable to get to these burning homes because of the snow in the streets that was not plowed. That's hard to believe. Maybe the mayor of Toronto wasn't so uh, crazy at the, the, the head of the military to clear the snow <laughs> streets right. of Toronto. But That's right. thank you for that story. And actually, it's a sort of a good metaphor because they say problem solving. I always say, you know, uh, it's like last year's melted snow. Sometimes you when you drag a problem forward, and also the um, I say the iceberg of marriage when it starts melting, you can have a flood of problems. And you know, what you don't want to do is flood your family and extended family, the next generations, with um, a flurry of problems. And that's what we're going to deal with. Uh, not a bad segue, eh, Gary? So, <laughs> in terms yeah. of uh, in terms of um, supporting our children, how does it work? Uh, that's sort of the, we're going to get into the child support issues in more detail tomorrow. But what I want to do now is to pick up from uh, that introduction in terms of the general, what I would call secular society introduction. And, you know, like my wife, Yumna, comes from a beautiful Islamic culture, a beautiful family. and that, But, you know, that culture has a in their Islamic marriage, they have a concept called the marher, which, you know, I have cases saying I believe it's a, it's like a prenuptial agreement. It's like a domestic contract that should be enforceable like all, but that's before the courts. I have cases. There was a December 2007 case where the Supreme Court of Canada with Justice Abella uh, writing the decision upheld the get in Judaism. But in our multicultural society, this is a multicultural station. Uh, Julie, I wonder if I could just open up all the different cultural groups who get married in all different cultures. How are those marriages seen? in Canada, uh, how 
are their own cultural values in, included in the kind of, uh, I don't know, in the negotiation, but in, uh, in our legal system. So I'm going to throw that up as an open-ended question. Just generally speaking, if a marriage is, is celebrated between people who live in a foreign country uh, and it's in due compliance with the laws of that foreign country, in the normal course of events, Canadian courts will recognise that marriage. Uh, what may or may not happen uh, <laughs> is uh, whether the same can be true of all the consequences of that marriage. And, for example, I only mentioned the, the Maha, uh, and that essentially, as I understand it, is generally a, a promise of a gift uh, or an undertaking to pay uh, something of value to the other partner in the event that the marriage breaks down. Now, although there's been some early case law in Ontario uh, that said, well, really, that's nothing to do with us, uh, the bulk of Canadian case law um, recognises uh, the validity of, of that gift or undertaking. Um, so I think... To some extent, that's a reflection of the fact that Canadian courts are coming to increasingly recognise cultural consideration, but they've been very slow to do this, you know, generally speaking. Mm, it goes back a long time, but if you're a member of the First Nations, you'll know what the word scoop means. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, their children were being scooped away uh, and relocated. Some in residential schools, some were put out for adoption, uh, some were put out with, with foster parents. Uh, and um, essentially, um, it's only in the last 10 years or so that we've recognised the damage that was done to First Nations people. Um, uh, by this so-called exercise in, in what is called child protection or trying to improve the lot of children. Uh, I mean, it was a disaster, and it's one that we're still paying the price for, or more accurately, uh, the First Nations are paying the price for, mm -hmm. because these children never learned to parent themselves. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, so it's a recurring problem. And I think that's one illustration, perhaps the most um, obvious illustration, of where the law really did not respond uh, to other cultures. Mm. Um, if you look at beyond the realm of child protection into the field of child custody, the private dispute between parents or grandparents, uh, as distinct between parents and the state where the ch a child is apprehended, um, being perceived as being in need of protection. If we look at private custody, the courts, again, I think have been very slow uh, to recognise uh, cultural aspects. Um, they pay lip service to it. Uh, they, for example, they said ethnicity and race are, are a relevant consideration. Um, but they really don't give it too much weight. Uh, and if you match it against the, the current phrase of bonding, you know, emotional bonding between the parent and child or the grandparents and child, uh, ethnicity always loses out. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we need to spend some time looking at it, that issue, uh, as lawyers, as judges and the like. Um, I think, you know, there have been judicial training programs um, to facilitate judges recognising gender issues. I I'm not sure whether they've also implemented effective programs to deal with racial issues, ethnicity issues. If not, they should. Um, mm. 
because at the moment uh, the question of ethnicity uh, is is trumped, if you like, uh, by bonding if you're in a custody dispute. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm not sure that's not too facile an approach. Ernie did mention, um, to go back to the Maha, um, did mention the decision of the Supreme Court of Canada, uh, which in fact held uh, that damages could be awarded against the husband who denied his wife a get uh, under the Jewish religion. Um, And that may be a sign that we're breaking through to recognise uh, ethnicity, uh, racial aspects of, of family law issues uh, as they come to be uh, to the attention of the courts. Uh, it is a decision of the Supreme Court of Canada, and, and that's an important signpost. Yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we're moving very slowly towards uh, a degree of recognition. Um, but... It's not overwhelming us. <laughs> yeah, well, as you said, there's an opening, and I'm glad we sort of got into this because I know that used to be the the common law courts would say we're not going to enter into the religious thicket, as they put it. But now with a multicultural society, with that Supreme Court of Canada case where they did refer in, in part to the Maher, which is uh, eventually that will get to the Supreme Court of Canada. I'm sure I've got a case that may actually go there. Um that sensitivity of these cultural groups. And I don't want to forget now in this context that you referred earlier before the break, I wonder if we can expand on that. You said that the the government of Ontario sort of dropped the ball. Like in terms of arbitration and family law, that whole dispute that occurred a few years ago and they were uh, – and then they you – know, I think the um, many cultural groups, including the Jewish groups and the Muslim groups, were really dismayed about the outcome of the what happened to arbitration for family law in Ontario. Could you expand on that a bit? Well, right now, I mean, they've enacted legislation and regulations on the cards um, with respect to arbitration. Uh, religious arbitrations uh, can only be advisory. All arbitrations now must be determined by the law of Ontario, or at least by the law of Can- laws of Canada. Um, so there's no recognition uh, of any religious laws in this context. Uh, but over and above that, they've introduced uh, other so-called safeguards. Um, for example, if you want to do a arbitration now, uh, then the individual um, litigants or prospective litigants or pr- prospective um, disputants who are going to go to arbitration uh, must be vetted to see yes. uh, whether they've been the victim of fa- family violence or domestic violence uh, And, I mean, no one's ever suggested that we should do this in the course of law. Uh, So I I have some difficulty with understanding why it's done in the context of arbitration because arbitration is not trying to negotiate a settlement. It's taking your dispute Mm. to a third-party neutral who decides what the answer is going to be. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, uh, because... um as you said, it's advisory, and I've talked to different religious leaders. I said, give your uh, give the parties from different cultural groups what your culture would say, and then you can mediate a solution around it yourself, and then you can not arbitrate it, but you can come to an agreement with independent legal advice, and then you can get a consent court order. So there is sort of a compromise way out of that. So I'm going to compromise our time here a bit. We only got about. Um, a minute and a half left, so I want to uh, uh, mention that tomorrow we're going to get we're going to uh, focus in on child support guidelines in Canada. Uh, it's based on a wonderful book, uh, 
and you can get the book from uh, it's Irwin Law, I think, I believe. Yeah, yes, Irwin Law. Irwinlaw.com. And um, it's an excellent uh, summary both for uh, practitioners, judges, and general public to understand it. And there's a Canadian Family Law 3rd Edition. Um, one thing, you know, Gary, he mentioned about same-sex, you know, uh, marriages in Canada. Do People do come here, but you're saying that when they go back to the United States, that might not be recognized. But one thing it reminded me of a couple of months ago, the investors group had a comedy night at the PN Sportsplex. And there was a thousand people, about half women, half men. And one of the three comedians came up and said, I really respect Canada for its same-sex legislation. It's a very forward country that way, and it was everybody was feeling very proud. And then he says, I want to confess something. He says, I'm in a same-sex marriage. I couldn't believe that silence in the room was just deafening. It was like almost like embarrassing. What He said, yes, I want to explain that 20 years ago, I got married, and I've had the same sex ever since. So... <laughs> Oh, is that the best you can do? Well, I'm just quoting a com- professional comedian. That's safe. Now the women laugh more than the men. There you go. Jonas Tavoyo with Julian Payne. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff, Ernie. That's, actually, it is funny no matter how old it is, right? The, uh, those old chestnuts are still kind of humorous. ADR Show, as Ernie mentioned, we'll be back again tomorrow with Julius Payne here on Chin 97.9. Arabic program comes up right after the 1 o'clock report. <laughs>